HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Chris Guzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From The Man Valley. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby, and I am pleased to have with me back in the studio today, Greg Blaze. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for being back on the show. What is this the third time? Fourth time? I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> it's good times. Good times. Um, so Greg and I were kind of, you know, talking and just kind of a collegial, collegial way about sort of this debate that's been going on in the cheese world. And we thought, well, hey, why don't we just sort of use that as a as fodder for a show and kind of talk about it. Um, it came up uh, a couple weeks back. And, you know, the, the, there's the cheese industry is changing. Absolutely. Whether we like it or not. Um, and uh, one of the things that's changed more recently is the appearance of certain uh, programs for certification, whether it's the ACS's Certified Cheese Professional program um, or uh, Academy Opus Cassius uh, has affinage programs. Um, of course, Murray's Cheese pioneered, uh, you know, their, with their cheese classes. Now they have a cheese boot camp. Um, yeah, they sure do. And so there are just a lot of uh, different opportunities to learn about cheese um, and the cheese business and the cheese aging business. Um, but with that comes, of course, a little bit of controversy because, um, you know, when people are certified, what does that certification mean? Uh, you know, how, how much does that certification cost? Uh, and, you know, who who is authorized to do this certifying? Um, so that's kind of what we're going to dish about today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's always many schools of thought, you know, on things like that. I would, I would, I would opine, you know, uh, someone like me, 
<clears throat> I think this is my, I think this is like my 20th year. Um, I went up to learn how to make cheese when I was 18 years old at the New England Cheese Making Supply Company. I was on a farm for a day. I learned how to make Stilton and Gouda. I have no idea. I'd forgotten the recipes because they were so long ago, but I carry the knowledge with me. Um, I wish in a way that those programs had existed when I was doing what I was doing, you know, back when I was like 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. Because how did you... I mean, did you ever take any formal class of any kind in terms of cheese education, or did you learn everything you've learned on the fly and just kind of through experience? I learned everything through working. You know, I got paid to learn. Uh, I learned about cheese by uh, putting it in my hands, you know, and cutting it and wrapping it and the reading the books that I had around me and uh, meeting the people that sold it to me. You know, I, I, I'm just a self-taught guy. I've never taken a culinary class in my life. And but yeah, and that's that's actually interesting. And now because you teach classes at Italy, I know. Um, so what do you what do you typically um, teach about? Um, and uh, what are kind of the most I don't know the topics that you feel like kind of people gravitate towards the most? Well, I try to farm out the topics. Uh, I have some younger cheesemongers. I have great cheesemongers. Uh, you know, my guy Coulter Hansen is fantastic. I have a girl, Emily Acosta. They teach classes based on science, and I'm a terrible scientist. <laughs> I know the science of cheese, but I can't speak about it as well as the experience that I have from handling it and eating it. So I just try to transmit what it means to me, what the experiences I have of working with cheese have done for me, mm-hmm. and why people should think that it's important, which I don't know. I don't know where that puts me, but... Well, I feel like it puts you somewhere on the trajectory of like, you know, in Europe, um, you know, there's a much more formalized sort of guild system for all of these professions. And, you know, of course, in Europe, cheesemongering and cheesemaking are much more well-established traditions than they are here. Of course, we've been making cheese in the United States for a while, but what that cheese looks like and what those businesses look like and the techniques, et cetera are very different. But um, in terms of, yeah, that um, that guild mentality, the apprenticeship mentality, you know, if you were in France, you would probably be approaching, you know, the point where maybe you would have your own shop, for of example. Course. I feel like 15, 20 years in the <laughs> trenches, and then you get your own shop. But here, that's not the case. Well, I don't know. I don't know what the case is for me. I mean, the journey, I I always feel like I'm still at the beginning of any, of any journey, you know. Um, I... I'm I'm not opposed to any sort of certification programs or any sort of classes. If people want to teach people classes on how to age cheese or people want to teach people classes on how to purchase cheese, I I think that that's a that's a great that's a great thing. I wish um, that I had someone who had done that for me sure. when I was a kid, but I didn't, and I don't feel like I feel like the the two I don't feel like the, either one outweighs the other. You know? Yeah, I feel like it's a matter of uh, um, it's just a, a matter of your own personal style. You know, do I, how do you like to learn? Also, you I, know, I would I would offer up that um, that people who people who start out doing something that's a trade that they don't maybe they don't realize that it's a trade initially, but that's what it becomes. They have a very small community. You know, maybe they have a community of one, like I felt that I had, or a community of four. And I feel like the old school always gets threatened by the new school. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that that's very helpful. 
Yeah, I don't think it has to be a, a an us versus them type of mentality. I feel like they're both valid, and um, you know the uh, but the new school, um, you know, I think it can it can add it can add maybe some layers of uh, complexity and some and some opportunities, you know, because to to think about the demand for people in our profession now versus twenty years ago. The demand is exponentially higher. It's huge. And so people have to, and there are people who are interested and who want to do those jobs. So to have um, bodies or, you know, bodies. To have, yeah, to have <laughs> bodies behind the counter. Let me tell you, run into a retail shop, you are never going to be short on the need for bodies. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. And <clears> so <throat> the fact that there are organizations and schools that are willing to sort of take on these subjects, even though it may be dicey, you know, at this point in time, and in terms of, you know, Things aren't well defined. Things no. aren't things aren't well honed. Things are a work in progress, but you kind of have to start somewhere. You do. I just hope, and what I what I fight for, not fight for um, in a way. I, I just try to lead through my actions. I think that it's fantastic that people learn all about the nuts and bolts of how to make cheese. They want to be a cheesemaker, and they want people to know, to know where all the cultures come from. And they want people to grow their own cultures, and they want people to understand everything about the science of making cheese. But there's also the experience of being a cheesemonger, and the experience of being a cheesemonger is a portion of being a retailer most times or a wholesaler. And there are other things that experience can only give you, I feel, like dealing with your staff and hiring and firing people and writing a schedule and making sure everybody is insured and making sure that Jim can go to the dentist while Marsha has to go visit her parents and all of that. Those are also skills that a cheesemonger needs to have, especially if they're going to grow a staff and they're going to make you know a shop or a place with a legacy. And I'm not sure that I ever will think that a program that certifies people to be a cheesemonger can teach them that any more than the experience they get from working. That's a very good point. So, you know, that's that's a great point. So n- being a cheesemonger involves knowing about all this, um, knowing a certain amount of technical stuff, um, knowing a certain amount about um, how cheese should be cared for, handled, ordering, Absolutely. receiving. So what, what is, what's kind of your laundry list of what are the maybe the top uh, things that, you know, would make up a cheesemonger's education? Well, I think you need to know about the products and the people that you work with, either getting, either sourcing those products. You know, you want to know the producers. You want to know how to handle their cheese. And you want to know how to teach people how to sell it and take care of those people so that they stay with you and you have a consistency in your staff, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean... And then, well, so that's so that's sort of the product end of things. And then, like you said, there's kind of the back of the house stuff yeah, that you I, just listed that um, is equally valid. You I know? think it's more. I mean, look, I I love the fact that people are making cheese caves and wonderful places to keep cheese and age it. And I've always, I mean, I helped to create one of the first cheese caves in the city. I worked with uh, Daphne and Max. And um, we opened up the artisanal cheese caves in, in 2003. And I feel like there weren't a lot of people who were doing that back then. That was a son of a bitch of a fucking job, I'm going to tell you right now. And a lot of times the cheese was left behind because of all of the other stuff that the people who built the caves didn't think of. So the three of us and the five of us ended up having to do all of those other jobs, you know, which were just as important, you know. So if you have like... An asshole like me who will just show up in a pair of shorts and lock himself in a refrigerator for 14 hours and turn (laughs) the cheese, you know, then you're going to be all right. 
But I don't think that everybody should necessarily have to do that. So I think that before people do those sort of things, it might behoove them to get a little bit of experience in leadership and retail management. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is definitely true. Building a solid organization is oftentimes just as important as the if you know how to care for the cheese, but you don't have the manpower to do it. Then it goes to shit anyway. Then you can't do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, so (laughs) what? uh, Well, so. But there's a certain amount. So that's an interesting story. But, the, but then, then there are people who do it expertly, you know, like you have like the like the Mons Caves. They put out they put out good people. They put out good cheese. You know, you have a place like uh, Gufanti who I buy from. They're a different kind of an organization. They put out good cheese, you know, they, but they also have the right people. I deal with you. It's the same thing. You know what I mean? Like you take care of the people that work there. It's obvious to me. So, I mean, some people do it right. I don't know if all of them do it right. I, I only know from the, the people that I do business with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, I, I like that sort of uh, that train of thought. The people, yeah, cheese is alive, and the people who care for for the cheese have to uh, <laughs> are just as important to the end product, if not, you know, probably the most important thing to the end product. So that brings us to another sticky subject, which is the subject of affinage. Yeah. Um, some people think that affinage is an important uh, sort of step in the cheese process from the cheese being made to the cheese being sold. And other people think that affinage is just an excuse to charge more money for the same product. Um, <laughs> so, and that's where we really got heard into about it. That yeah, I know. I know. I think it's a, it's a, it's a sticky subject. So, and we kind of, you know, had a conversation we about did. this um, pretty we recently. Totally did. And so it's my personal belief that, you know, affinage is very important. Um, who it's being done by is is somewhat less important I, in that I don't think that there has to be necessarily an affiner in the, you know what I mean? In, I the, do, in the In the business chain. I don't think that it has to go from, you know, cheese maker to affiner to end seller. I think that the, no, the cheese the maker is the affiner in many cases. But I think to argue <coughs> that affinage isn't important is to say that, you know, you could make a wheel of Pleasant Ridge wash it twice and let it sit on the shelf and that it would be the same cheese as what, you know, Pleasant Ridge uh, is when Andy and his crew take care of it and they wash it twice a week and they turn the cheeses and they send them out when they're just right. I think that saying that affinage isn't important is is a very um, ridiculous thing. In well, fact, yeah. I mean, I don't know who's saying that exactly or why anyone would say that. I, I understand why... Um, Inserting another set of hands that products pass through when they're already expensive on a wholesale level. Uh, when I bought Gruyere when I was 18 years old, you know, it cost me, you know, high quality Gruyere cost me about seven or eight bucks a pound. Wow. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Right? Good shit here. You know, to get a good wheel of Gruyere. I have to pay generally twice that, and I can't even sell Gruyere. So anybody who works for Italy, don't think I'm selling Gruyere behind your cheese counter, <laughs> or maybe I am. Yeah. But but and do you know what I mean? So I think that costs are tighter. So I can understand on a certain level why someone would think, "The fuck do I need more money charged to this for?" By the same token, I think that part of the cheese making process from beginning to end. You know, the end user is a guy like me, the retailer, mm-hmm. and it's only benefits me to have the cheese be in its proper shape when I sell it. And if you have a farm that makes cheese and the return on their money needs to be quick, 
But if there's another person that they can turn that over to and they make that cheese a better product and then they give it to me and I have a quality-based model of retail, then it's absolutely necessary. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That totally makes sense. And I it, feel like the affineur as a profession has probably evolved from exactly that. Cheesemakers needing to make money quicker than it takes for their cheese to age. And that's kind of what and it's that's about. That's totally valid. I mean, that's kind of what it's about for And me. cheesemakers being able to market their cheese to a wider audience than if they were doing it themselves. Exactly. I mean, so you have, a, uh, I mean, the way that the fucking world works, merchants need middlemen, okay? Like, there was a person who went and collected cheese for people on a horseback or on back, whatever, and pulled that cheese out into another market. Maybe they didn't have a cellar that they kept it in. But they were brokers of cheese. Oh, sure. Yeah, they were like, you know, Paul Kinstead's book was so great <clears throat> about that. You know, talking about back in, you know, ancient times, there were these vessels where they would keep fetas and other yeah. brine cheeses, and they would seal these ceramic vessels, put them on a boat, and, you know, they were, you know, there had to be a means to get the, and, and in that case, the, the ceramic vessel was the affineur. <laughs> yes. But uh, getting it from point A to point B and, and in good shape. And anything that makes the 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 products that I'm trying to sell better on a necessary level, I'm all for. And sometimes not even – even, I, I buy from people who literally say, we are experimental weirdos, Greg. This is what we did to this cheese. And I'm like, shit, that's pretty awesome. I'll take some. Let's try it. Do you know what I mean? And um, I just think that nothing in the world – and, and it's, how – nothing in the world of, of, of cheese and cheesemongery is black and white. It yeah. just isn't. Um, we buy things from people who, you know, the batches of cheese taste different from one to another based on the season, you know? So how, I don't know. I just think that's short-sighted to think that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, in the end, the cheese speaks for itself. And good cheese is good cheese no matter who it comes now, from. Now, do I think that I need to uh, necessarily get the stamp of approval of people who are in the middle of the cheesemaker and me? You know, in order to sell that product, I think that's I think that's pretty arrogant, and and I run into that sometimes or have in my career, and that I don't appreciate as much as the need to take care of people's products. If that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You you are your own arbiter of taste. 100%. Basically. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we've uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, uh, the debate the debate rages. <laughs> Stay with us. <laughs> Today's break song is called It's Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. You're listening to Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 160 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. And we are back on Cutting the Curd. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. You can tune in to Cutting the Curd and tons of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org. 
I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. I'm here today with Greg Blaze, who is a master cheesemonger. Please. <laughs> um, currently employed by Ely, but um, has been all over the cheese atmosphere, cheese universe over the over the last 20 years. Um, and we're talking about the debate um, in cheese certification, whether it be uh, on the cheesemonger level, the affinage level, um, a lot of different things that are kind of coming up in our industry now that didn't exist, uh, you know, 10, no. 5, 10, 20 years ago. So the thing that I wanted to lead off the second sort of segment with is um, the idea of cheesemonger certification being likened to sommelier certification. Okay. I think that that was the original intention, um, certainly of the American Cheese Society's CCP program. Makes Um, sense. Sue Sturman um, has been a big champion of this, as was Max McCalman. They thought, you know, if sommeliers can get certified, cheesemongers should be able to get certified. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I agree. And it's certainly uh, both... Uh, jobs are about you know honing the palate, being able to identify, describe, um, and you know, and and decipher um, levels of quality. Um, so, what do you think about that? I mean, so when when someone becomes a sommelier and achieves a certain level of being a sommelier, it, it definitely means something in the restaurant business. You Absolutely, can, you can get a good job a good paying job as a sommelier and you're recognized by your community of peers. Um, right now, you know, the cheesemonger certification is still very new. So no one's really sure what it means. No one knows if that is going to, you know, if people who are hiring would hire a CCP versus a non CCP, um, to you as, as someone who hires cheesemongers, what would that certification mean to you? Well, I mean, I think I'm a, I think I'm a, an odd choice to answer the question, but I'm going to answer it honestly. Do it. Um, it wouldn't matter to me, and it, w- it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter to me one way or another. I think it's fantastic that I would have a person that was that dedicated and knew that much. But if I had another person that I felt was the right person for the job, that's the person that I would take, because I feel like for myself, I have enough knowledge to give that person good enough habits to be a professional in my field. That being said, I think it's a nice thing for people to do, especially when they're going into, say, a larger entity where levels of management that they might be dealing with might need to know that they know that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely makes sense. Well, I feel like a lot of, um, <clears throat> you know, the, the some of the biggest supporters of the CCP program um, have been Whole Foods, which is a, that's, probably particularly for that reason, because uh, if Whole Foods is a big company and they're looking for a certain standard of person when they're hiring, you know, a, a new uh, team, you know, a new team member for the cheese department, that would that would mean a lot. And I think and I think it would. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lucky man. I get to pick and choose my employees. And I like some employees that I could tell that there's a CCP when they when they outgrow me. You know what I mean? Like when sure. they when they say, "Yeah, I've learned enough from this fucker." You know what I mean? I got I got to <laughs> learn more. Like, where should I go? Then they should go to that. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I and I and I do think. I mean, I'm not a sommelier. I know I know a lot of them. I um, I work with a a great one. My my the general manager of Italy is Dan Amatuzzi, and he's a just a fantastic person, a great wine guy. We teach classes together, and I've learned so much from him. Um, and I learned a lot about the layers of the world of wine. But in the end, when we stand there and we teach those classes, it's about him and not about the degree that he has for me. However, <laughs> um, 
And part of me, I'm not going to lie, part of me, uh, part of me doesn't want to want to give up the odd path that people like me took to get to where I'm at. But you know, do you know what I mean? That there is no school. Yeah. But I realize that the two are very similar, and 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 there's definitely a need. Well, there's something I was just thinking about this because. People need sommeliers. I mean, people need cheesemongers. People need sommeliers. But with sommeliers, the bar is raised a little higher because people are investing a significant amount of money a lot. in the product that they're buying. And so the do pers- you think that that and cost the- issue has, has something to do with well, why there are these experts and well, there aren't in other it. worlds? Sommeliers, master sommeliers aren't getting paid fucking 10 bucks an hour. But cheesemongers are. Okay? I mean, it, that that's just like... I, I think, and, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think that part of the reason for having a certification program is to get that sort of, and I don't like to use this term, but get that sort of union of, of individuals together where they can go out and demand a higher wage for their services and their knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, you know, I had Daphne Zeppos on the show probably three years ago at this point or two, two three years ago. And we had this debate. Um, it was right before the first CCP exam launched. And she was saying that, you know, so many of uh, of our colleagues are driven to other careers at some point because no at a certain point, cheese becomes a hobby and not a viable option to raise a family and, or and, to become a self-sufficient, you know, adult. Um, so that's, I'm not a self-sufficient adult. I don't think <laughs> I don't think no matter how much money anyone would pay me, Gre- I could be a self-sufficient you, adult. You, you're doing good, Greg. You're doing good. <laughs> Um, no, but so you, that, that, that's definitely valid. You know, I think that there, and, and there are more, um, jobs like that becoming available. So it's interesting. I mean, not as many as, as sommeliers because not every restaurant has a cheese expert that's, you know, getting paid Boku bucks to go around and describe, you know, the cheese plate. And not everyone needs one. Right. Right, It's a different kind of thing. I mean, I, I think, you know what I mean? And I don't know if you necessarily, and I could be wrong. I don't. I think that they're different on that pay scale. You know, I don't know what a sommelier gets paid. I don't. I know what a person that works in a wine store gets paid, and I know that they must get paid less than the sommelier because they quit all the time. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, they certainly wouldn't be walking away from a you know from a high to high you know from a close to a six figure job like that. But that's retail in general, I think. And I sure. think. And I think what the see. I, just on a nuts and bolts level, like certifying people to be cheesemongers should be giving them a better life, not the ability to say that they know more than other people. It should be like working towards giving them something that they can do for the rest of their lives if that's what they choose, like you say, so that they can live on that job. Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And I feel like, you know, um, at the beginning, it'll always be a little rocky. But it's a, it's a Shit, in, man. In that way, you know, unless you've been lucky enough to, you know, land in a, land in, you know, in a certain position, chances are you're going to get one of those bottom I made eight bucks an hour jobs. to be a cheesemonger when I started. Yeah, I eight think fucking, I was about the same. Eight bucks an hour. I was living yeah. in Boston. The only reason why I could be a cheesemonger now is because my first mentor put aside money for me and, and sent me away to learn how to make cheese, bought me knives, and paid for me to move to New York City. Wow. That's why I'm a cheesemonger. Wow. I made $10 an hour for the first two years I lived in New York City, and it sucked. But you know what? It was what I wanted to do, and I'm going to fucking do it till they put me in the ground. However, I don't think anybody should have to have that choice. I think 
it's awesome that people can go and learn, you know, and be a, maybe start off in a little bit better, a little bit better place than that. I'm not saying I was destitute, but man, I wanted more beer money. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> a lot totally. more beer money, man. Totally. How are you supposed to have a girlfriend on that salary? That, Jesus. Yeah, that's impossible. That's impo- <laughs> unless you're like a really great home cook. And uh, well, I am, but you know, you see me, I got a better face for radio than I do for anything yeah. else. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, so that's interesting, too. So there is the cost of the exam. Talking about what people make in the cheese business, how are people supposed to f- afford this exam? What's the Let exam me ju- cost? Um, I want to say it's maybe between six and 800 bucks. Well, what are the costs exactly that go into, into you taking that test? I just want to know. Sure. Well, I actually helped develop the test, yeah. so I can speak to it a little bit. Um, you know, the people who, uh, you know, there's a big team of people who were writing questions. Right. Um, we were all volunteers. Sure. Um, so they didn't pay you. They didn't know, but I mean, we were we were dedicated to the job. Of course, um, you were. There was a consultant hired because if you're going to have this being industry standard, you yeah. have to have somebody tell you how to do that and how to benchmark it and how to, um, you know, can help you create the program. Actually, you know, in the in the computers. I'm speaking like a total idiot because I don't know anything about You've technology. You never speak. You gotta. Like an idiot. You I'm... gotta. You gotta. You gotta make it work in the computers. Come on, you gotta make it. Gotta do computer stuff. <laughs> gotta do computer stuff. <laughs> Um, and, you know, all that initial stuff to do is very expensive. Hiring the consultants is expensive. Sure. Getting the software, you know, is expensive. Having that licensed, you know, to you so it's your proprietary test. Having all the questions vetted by this, uh, Well, what's you know, the mattress full of cash that that money came out of? It came out of um, people, I want to say Donations? it came out of people donating. Yeah. What did you have, like... Did you ask cheesemonger? I mean, cheesemakers to donate. I I wasn't involved in the fundraising at all, um, so I'm not exactly sure how things were were paid for. But it's definitely as a, as a, a substantial substantial. That's cost. a lot. I mean, but 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 I'm not saying that it's exorbitant. I'm just saying that that like if you have a if you have a person that makes three hundred and ninety dollars a week take home, and they live in yeah, New York you City, can't, you can't then you can't pay for it unless your employer pays for right. it, right? Which they should. Which they should, and which but, you know would encourage um, kind of like scholarship program, like there are for you know, other universities. You know, you want to see people be able yeah. to do that. Um, all right. Well, we are actually um, nearing the end of the show, but I have a question for you. That's a silly question. So, if a sommelier is you know a sommelier, do you think that the the cheese person automatically has to be the fromager, or can we just be cheesemongers? I'm gonna be a fucking cheesemonger, man. I don't care. <laughs> Does a fromager is that a fancier title? They tried than to call me that when I worked at at uh, artisanal. They uh-huh. were like, "Is it fromager?" And I was like, "I'm a cheese dude." <laughs> but cheese but, dude, but there can, you go. They That's can even call better. me whatever they want as long as my checks don't bounce. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll end with that. Thanks for the debate. I yeah, mean, but, it's a it's an exciting time. It's of, always nice to come talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure we'll have much more to talk about in the future. It, listeners, if you have any comments on this, I know, and I know you do, you can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Um, you can tweet to the Heritage um, Twitter thing, which I don't know about because I don't do Twitter. But you know, we want Me comments. Either. So uh, get, you know, get back to us. Let us know what you think about this issue. And thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. 
You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.